Hello, everybody. This is the E9 Podcast, a production of Free Drop Media. And this week, it is the 2023 U.S. Open preview. But before we get to that, Hayden Copeland and I will break down all the news surrounding the PGA, PIF, merger, acquisition, investment, collaboration. You pick the word. We're going to give it our best shot to try to describe it for you. And then we'll be joined by pod newbie Mike Nealon to kind of give us a rundown of gambling props and favorites headed into this year's U.S. Open. Following today's broadcast, be sure to stay tuned for a brief breakdown of the PIF and the Saudis' role in global sports, global geopolitics as regards to sports, and what's going on with the possible legalities of this potential merger. All that coming your way today on the E9 Podcast. Before we jump into, Hayden, uh, this mess that we shouldn't even have to talk about, I want to first thank Nick Taylor. I want to thank Tommy Fleetwood. I want to thank the entire country of Canada. The security guard. I want to thank Adam Hadwood. Yes. (laughs) The Adam Hadwood and the security guard that, that flatlined him. I want to thank all of them for what they gave us on Sunday, which is just a reminder how great golf can be to see a Canadian win their national open. And, you know, we, we think like, Oh, the Canadian open, like that's as big a deal to them as the U S open is to us. Yeah. This is bigger than Shane Lowry winning the, the open. This is much Massive, bigger than that. Much bigger. <laughs> Although if Nick Taylor can match Shane Lowry's celebration to her, I'll be really impressed. Um, Anyway, it was cool to see that. I didn't, that was not on our rundown the other day, but it was uh, after Sunday. I feel like we had to at least like have something good to feel going into this. Oh, yeah. It, and this will be something that has been on my mind as I watched. Like, what an awesome tournament that they had. And, and it's kind of fun because we were in a phase for a while where the week before a major was kind of a ugh, kind of a uh, just right. take the week off. You don't need to watch. But now it really does seem like players are back in this mindset of we're going to, we want to play our best leading into this next tournament. And so we're, we're going to take these tournaments like the RBC seriously. And um, I think just one of the best things that I am a little worried about is that all this drama is leading up to like, I hope that this U S open doesn't disappoint. I mean, I don't think I'm not trying to be contrarian, but some of these majors have been a little bit of a letdown. And the RBC, like the Canadian Open, is awesome. It was awesome. In fact, some of our best golf memories this year have not been the majors, although, you know, obviously majors are the thing. Um, mm-hmm. They've been these incredible finishes. Uh, and um, yeah. yesterday or Sunday was just another one. But I guess we're bearing the lead here. Um, I want to ask you, uh, when you first got the news, and all of us got it in a variety of weird ways, I know I got mm-hmm. a text. I got a text from a friend in New York who knows nothing about golf, he, but he saw a CNBC headline about this and said, what the heck is this all about? And that was my first, that's the first thing I've even heard about this. So what was your feeling when you saw this and heard about it? This, I, we can't call it a merger. I don't know if you saw that uh, Jay Monahan says this cannot be called a merger now because that is right. not the terminology that we used uh, in Congress. But what's your thought about this collaboration, yeah. if, it, if that's what it is? <laughs> well, I've been referring to it as they're merging, but it's not a merger. They're merging, mm-hmm. but it's not a merger. Um, <laughs> and I, the funny thing is I heard it from my fiance, who knows um, so little about golf. I mean, she did join us at the Masters this year, but 
other than that, she knows nothing about golf, but she is uh, someone who has her push notifications on. And, you know, that is uh, demented in itself to have your news push notifications on. And we can address that at a later time that she uh, follows the news that closely. But because of that, she was the one to send me a text and said, hey, Liv and PGA, they're, they're coming together. And the first thought was, no, they're not. Get out of here. They, You're getting you know, trolled. Like, this is some fake news. This is some kind of weird you know, uh, parody, I don't know, Babylon B or, uh, I don't know. But the first thought was, man, if I just wasted the past year talking about this crap, like what, what, what the heck? That, that was my first thought was like, this is stupid. I, I would say I was blown away. And I think for many of us, they felt that this was going to happen but it turns mm-hmm. out this was probably inevitable. It was just the timing of it was so bizarre. In hindsight, it kind of makes sense. Okay, we're going into Canadian Open Week, everything else the rest of the year is US Open, British Open, you know, FedEx, Ryder Cup. Like it's, it's, a, it's a little bit exhausting to think about the rest of the year, but it still just felt like, a, like you're just getting smacked upside the head. In hindsight, this is inevitable, as we've learned over the last 10 days of why this is happening. But in the moment, it was shocking. And to the, your point, it, it was national news, you know, and how often does PGA tour anything become national news unless Tiger Woods is involved. And even then, yeah. I don't know if you're scoping it the way this has been scoped. Yeah. It's, it's not often that golf gets in the news and just people, I don't know if you've had this experience, uh, Josh, but I've had a lot of people just asking me, Hey, what do you think about this? And I, honestly, it's just gotten to the point where I really don't even know what to say. I just, I'm like, Really, it comes down to I am really excited that I hope that all the best players will now get to play together again. I think that's what I have to keep coming back to is, one, I'm tired of talking about all this because most of the stuff that the PGA Tour spouted out over the past year was just BS and they didn't actually mean anything of what they said. And then two is like, yeah, it's great. I want all the best golfers to play together so that we can have the best tournaments, the the best competition. And so... Yeah, I, I'm just almost exhausted of having to talk about all this. Well, I, and I do hope, think we all hope that happens, especially after the PGA Championship, um, you know, to, to see Brooks play so well there. And to I, I probably need this is if good a time as any for my mea culpa. Should I do it now? I'm sorry, <laughs> yeah. all you live golfers who are listening to me, which is probably I can count on less than one finger. <laughs> But I am sorry for questioning your preparedness, uh, your ability to compete in major championships. Uh, I have missed the mark on that one. I'm throwing it out there. Brooks, to you in particular, awesome, awesome win. Incredible uh, after, you know, kind of your narrative was revealed on full swing. And I'm sorry I ever doubted you, sir. Um, <laughs> the Masters, how stupid of me to think you couldn't win one of these. So um, that yeah. said, if you great to see these guys all together and we can go back to the pga in a second but mm-hmm. it is nobody knows hayden and, and in, in fact as you listen to these news reports um kind of these these major players in this obviously jay monahan jimmy dunn uh, who's on the the policy board um mm-hmm. all the way up to you know darcier ramayan who is the governor of the pif you know, these are very powerful people um, who kept a very big secret for a very long time and none of them has been able to articulate what this looks like. This has been months in the making. Yeah. You are 
you know, I'm a teacher, you're a teacher, we've looked at, I'm a history teacher, you, you're pretty shrewd about these things, and, and Michael will come in later, he's in business, like, you don't announce these things without having a pretty good outline and plan in place. I think there's things they can't reveal, obviously, um, because they are worried about the FTC or even the Department of Justice stepping in. But this is a massive, massive deal. And I take off my golf hat and I put on my kind of geopolitical, you know, economics teacher hat. And I look at the what this means to the global landscape. I don't know if people can kind of contextualize what this means, Buying into or essentially becoming the, the main investor in an American sports league is a massive thing for a, an investment fund controlled by a major international um, power, uh, especially one yeah. that has authoritarian leanings and has, you know, questionable human rights record um, mm -hmm. that is, yes, an ally of the United States, but probably more because we're both kind of enemies of Iran, um, yeah. Iran. It's a very, very interesting thing that's happening right now. Yeah. And um, I, I said in my earlier uh, opening, they have enough money to buy every single American sports team, all three of them, and throw the NHL to boot and the PGA Tour and still own F1 teams. Uh, and they're headed towards a trillion dollars. Like, these guys are not messing around. They're not going to get into this type of thing without knowing kind of what the end game might look like. Yeah, it's, but I, I think it comes back to, again, you know, we all are kind of like, we don't know what's happening. Uh, I was actually talking with a, a good friend of mine here in Nashville. Uh, his brother is a caddy on the PGA tour and he knows about as much as we do. And so I think that is a little surprising, right? That the players, the caddies, they're, they're pretty much in the same seat that we are, which is really crazy to think that they are, what, whether they're members of the PGA Tour or they're a caddy or they're close to that, um, close, close in on this action, yet they are about the same place we are. It also makes me a little wor worried of, okay, we say, you know, all these golf leagues are going to merge, yet it still seems like there's a lot of barriers where we're saying this is going to happen. It still might not happen. That's the other crazy thing and what happens if it does get blocked or it doesn't happen this deal which i don't think will fall apart i think it's pretty evident now the pga tour needs cash elevated purses massive legal fees um it, it really is in hindsight it's obvious that they need an influx of cash why it had to be this particular thing could they not have found another but if they could they would have they, they could have cash. four years ago they could have right 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 so um but it is shocking how little anybody knows what's going to happen. And are these guys going to play together? Are we looking at a PGA tour? I mean, next year's schedule, they say is going to be the same, but are you looking at a PGA tour that's going to incorporate a global team component that will kind of emerge from live? It, it certainly seems like Greg Norman was not part of this discussion. You know, I think this was the adults were sitting at the table here and the Rory's and the Greg's of the world um, were left uh, to, to chew on table scraps. So it's a really interesting thing that's happening right now. It's also, to me personally, you're hearing a lot of talk coming out of the PJ Tour camp, Jay Monahan responding to the Senate, you know, requesting for, um, you know, an inquiry. Um, Jimmy Dunn doing a Sports Illustrated interview saying that Jay Monahan's going to have all these powers, which, no, he's not. The chairman <laughs> of this is Yarsir uh, um, right. Al-Ramayan, and uh, he's going to pull the strings. 
um, is, you know, the live players feel like they have a win here, but a lot of people saying Jay Monahan could cancel live, which again, sounds debatable, but if live gets canceled, how do these guys come back on the PGA tour? Yeah. Um, I guess these questions will be answered and sooner rather than later, because they have to get a, a schedule together for next year and get, right. get venues booked and everything else. Yeah. My question yeah. to you is, is golf worth it? I mean, I, I know golf to us as a sport is worth it, but the massive amounts of money we're talking about, are, is it worth it? I mean, hmm. well, how valuable is golf? Well, I think, I, I, I mean, that's a good question. Uh, to me, I ask that question every time I decide to go down to Hilton Head and pay to play uh, Harbortown, which is now, I think, roughly $800 to play instead <laughs> of just uh, the, the typical $250. No, is golf worth it? I think you, again, you've made this point. You have to remember how like little money they're actually like compared to the wealth that they have. It's like, sure. Why not? Will I, will I get guacamole at Chipotle? That's the same kind of conversation they're having is, you know, yeah, I could splurge some guacamole. I could splurge and maybe own the PGA tour. I mean, is Dustin, is Dustin Johnson though worth a $200 million investment? You know, that's a crazy ask right there. He hasn't done a whole lot. We haven't seen him do much in majors. Maybe Brooks is, you know, I think we confuse. I think we misunderstand what assets are in golf. You know, certainly Tiger Woods' name is an asset, but really the assets in golf um, are the are the four major championships in the Ryder Cup. Those are the assets, and none of those are really involved in this. You know, so it seems like maybe the PF is trying to they're going to try to create some assets. I think that's what the team version of this is for Live. I think these teams are supposed to be bankable assets. You know, you don't invest mm-hmm. money in something without hoping to gain on that investment at some point. Are we building a team structure like the Premier League where we're going to have relegation and people moving up and down? And we, instead of, you know, Jordan Spieth or Justin Thomas being good one year and bad the next, you know, that's a, a sunk cost right. on a guy who's not yeah. playing well. Um, are we going to try to build assets that are sustainable even after Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth retire? Is, is mm-hmm. the, the, what is the two aces or whatever these stupid team names are, the cliques, <laughs> are, are they going to become the assets or a, a new global, you know, I just feel like that's the plan we're headed towards here because you don't throw money at something like this because your assets as players, those things fluctuate. So no one's going to invest in something that fluctuates so yeah. rapidly. Um, and no one's going to invest in, you know, some of these, these, I don't want to say mid-level tournaments because, you know, going to Detroit um, for the rocket mortgage, something like that is important mm-hmm. to those communities. That's not a massive asset for Saudi Arabia or the PIF. And again, right. I'm getting way off on my, my political horse here, but there's got to be something they're targeting here as far as asset building, because you're not buying the Dallas Cowboys, you know, where you get the logo and all these awesome things. Um, yeah. You know, it's a little different, you know, in what they're doing here. All right. Yeah. It's, that it's, said, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, uh, no, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, yeah, it, it makes me worried. I'll put on my heritage hacks as a staple to say, you know, it, for me as someone who grew up in Hilton Head, South Carolina, when I hear this news, I think, well, there goes the heritage. Like all that tradition is going to go down the drain. And after the Masters, we're going to go to uh, South Africa. We're going to go to Australia. We're going to go play in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. And, yeah. And so that a, a few that, times. <laughs> yeah. That makes me concerned for just the smaller tournaments. Yeah. Um, but also, as you're talking about assets, I think that what the PIF has to consider is are there any up and coming podcasts out there that they can invest in? Because <laughs> that's where the real value is. We're here for you, PIF. Hey, Yasir, <laughs> give me a call. 
Money we'll, talks. Let's go. We'll go. For, we will show for you. Oh, I should. That's terrible. I'm just kidding. Okay. Uh, I got him. As you talked about the, I know. Now I'm, that's actually I have to get edited out. That's coming out. Um, as you talk about like the heritage or some of these other small tournaments, you you do have to wonder what will happen. Um, will those become team events? Will they lose? their entire sponsorship because those sponsors don't want to be involved in this league and the Saudis don't care because they have enough money to get do away with all these corporate sponsors. Um, or do we have a, a system that looks more like the ATP tour, you know, where you have different levels of events happening week to week, you know, you have high level, you know, thousand point events and 500 point events. And do some of these, yeah. these second, these events become secondary and become kind of relegated to smaller events. You're still going to see professional golf fields there, but you're not going to see the Rory's and what tournaments, that's kind of what they're looking at next year anyway with the elevated schedule. But, mm-hmm. you know, now this may be kind of that on steroids. Um, if, you know, the PIF has their way and you have to assume they will have their way. All that said, we have no answers. We've talked about this for 10 minutes. No <laughs> answers. Um, I wish we did. Uh, I do want to talk to you real quickly about as we head towards this, uh, we're kind of midway through the major season. And again, going back to that point, yeah, it's great having the Canadian Open, and it's awesome, you know, watching these guys battle it out at some of these smaller tournaments, you know, seeing Tony Finau successful again, and some of these things have been great, but what what really matters is these four major championships, and really the one big property that is kind of up in the air right now is that, that Ryder Cup, what happens with the Ryder Cup, and so we're kind of halfway through major season, um, we have two really, really awesome major champions and John Rahm and Brooks Kepka kind of representing different uh, sides of the spectrums of golf. How are you feeling going into this U.S. Open about the first half of the year? Are you surprised by what we've seen with the majors and even the kind of elevated events being as cool as they've been? Um, what do you anticipate going forward? I, I think that I am – now, this, is, this comes from a unique place because I don't know where you stand with this, Josh, but for me – uh, I love all four majors, right? But if I had to rank them, for me, the U.S. Open is close to the bottom of the uh, the list. And I think that is one of those things that just the setup for the U.S. Open, I, I sometimes struggle with of just making it overly hard. When I watch the U.S. Open, I don't know how you feel, but I watch that and I go, I don't want to play this course. It's different than if I watch the Masters. I'm like, man, I can't, I would love to play Augusta National. Um, and so... Part of me is I've got to get in the right mindset to, okay, I want to see these golfers tested. I, I need, I'm trying to get excited about this challenge that is ahead of them. But I do think LACC gives me a little, little bit of hope because it is a different venue than maybe we're used to. What do you think? So I, I, I want to say you, you've said this offline and I mean, you know, yeah, you've said this offline because we haven't been online since, but you've said the PGA championship has kind of become the more exciting of the majors, you know, and, um, not to take away from any of the others, but this year's PGA was f- fantastic viewing. I mean, it was incredible to watch. Um, the golf course was, I think everybody at the end of the week felt Oak Hill was just so up to the task and a perfect balance of challenge um, and kind of get ability, especially considering the weather uh, that they had. But the PGA has been kind of really fun to watch last year, Justin Thomas and, and that, you know, God bless Mito, but that, that <laughs> fall apart on 18. And, you know, the last, that was the last, I think, sighting of Will Zaltoris that we've had. So it's been really cool. I shouldn't say that. he had a really good run in the playoff. <laughs> it's been really cool um, to watch the PGA championship. Whereas when you look at the U S open, Matt Fitzpatrick is a worthy champion and how he played at a course that he was familiar with last year at a cool golf course, the country club, but yeah. 
I don't think any of us, I shouldn't take away from that bunker shot he hit on 18. So there was drama <laughs> last year, but a little it's bit, not, a but real, it's... not a real sexy thing, right? Like Kepka is a little no. sexier than Matt Fitzpatrick, right? Yeah, I don't maybe that, think so. He's going to tell yeah, us maybe here that's what, that's what Maybe that's what you're getting at is this idea of maybe the U.S. Open just for me isn't sexy enough. Now, the, the idea of LACC, it makes me think of the last time I had a lot of fun or one of the times I had a lot of fun watching a major was Colin Morikawa at Harding Park, which is a yeah. California course, primetime yeah. golf, like those kind of things that got me really excited. That, that's an event that came down to the very end, just didn't have any crowds, but yeah. it was such a fun event to watch down to the very end. And so I am hopeful that LACC can provide that kind of drama, especially at a different viewing time. I love watching golf late in the evening. Yeah, I do too. Like, well, that's going to be something we'll talk about here in a little bit. But the idea that we're going to be sitting there, you know, with a frosty beverage in hand on a Saturday night at 7 p.m. watching golf just makes me so happy. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think about um, this year so far, and it feels like Rory has been at the center of everything, including this PIF thing. And, and God bless him. You know, he's, he's sitting in a really tough spot now, kind of almost his hand forced to kind of go a direction that he didn't really want to go. And I don't want to make it sound like there's some sort of moral compass guiding a lot of PGA tour players. Cause clearly there's not for a lot of these guys, money, money ultimately is what talks and they're going to follow the money. That said, I feel a little bit bad for these guys who kind of have to deal with this fallout, the PGA tour guys. Like, what do you feel about not getting paid? What do you feel about not going? Meanwhile, Bryson's going on CNN. Like he somehow is an expert on all of these things and sounded just like a fool. Um, so I do feel like, these guys, these PJ tour guys are kind of, they got to be just exhausted yeah. emotionally. Like you were saying, you're tired of it. Can you imagine what, how Max Holman right. feels? Can you imagine how, um, you know, Tony Finau feels these guys who have kind of had to deal with this constant mm -hmm. barrage the last 10 days from the press and from their friends about how do you feel about this thing? I don't know if golf is an escape for them right now, but that said, I, I kind of like the position of the live guys coming into this event. Uh, Kepka playing so well. Um, even DJ playing well on the live tour, it, maybe he makes an appearance this week. Um, and then maybe. just that Rory can't quite get over the hump, you know, he was there in Canada last week and has had some really good tournaments this year, but you can't get over the, quite get over the top, especially in the major championships. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be really interesting this week. Yeah. With Rory, I don't know what your thoughts are. I, I tend, I am hopeful, you know, maybe I'm the, the optimist as you sometimes call me. Um, and, I, I'm hopeful that maybe this live thing gives him an edge, right? That he is, that he's ticked off, that he's ready to just go out there and, and show them what's up. But then I also, and just like Rory should be the best golfer. And yet week after week, he's, you know, he's up there. He's just not the best. And so I don't I mean, know what could change this coming week, but I hope that maybe he's just, been saving it and that he is just gonna go out there angry with an edge and he needs some kind of edge he does need an edge and i just don't know if he's he's too exhausted to have that edge you know golf is we all know this anybody who's listening knows this it's such a mental sport i mean you have an argument with your wife you have a bad day at the golf course your kid doesn't sleep well you have a bad day at the golf course you know your tours merging with the saudis who you screamed and railed against for months and shilled for your tour and now they're going to, with them and how is that going to affect your golf? You know, and, and that's my congratulations to Rory for just playing as well as he has been, honestly, with, uh, if you put yourself in his shoes with the emotional duress and even the physical duress of the schedule he's played this year, 
um, it, it's really, really tough, especially on all these PGA guys. That's another thing that we learned with Brooks. He looked so fresh at the PGA, you know, and some of these tour guys, uh, the grind of these elevated events, you mentioned going sometimes a week before or a week after a major. I think it's been exhausting for a lot of them. And it does appear, you know, looking at Brooks and two majors, like they're a little more rested and ready to play. Mm-hmm. The other thing is like Scotty has had a good year, but also now I'm terrified to watch him putt anything. Uh, Have you looked at the strokes gains numbers? Have you actually taken a look at that? Like, you know, the no, what, what does it look like? Coach, I call you coach because you're a coach. Um, <laughs> Scotty Scheffler's strokes gained are almost double John Rahm's. The next one, as far as ball striking, tee to green strokes gained is in Tiger Woods level. His putting is minus 12 strokes gained. And to put that in perspective, if he had even been at zero, he probably would have won half a dozen tournaments this year with his ball striking. He certainly would have won the PGA. Like this is a guy who is hitting it on another level, like a level not seen in years and years and is getting no results because he can't get the stupid thing into the hole, the flat stick, which we can all relate to. Yeah, do you think that maybe he just kind of wills Alatoris? He's now embodying him ever since Will left the tour. He's just taken on that burden of being a, 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 a frightening putter that every time you watch it, you're like, children, close your eyes. Do not watch this. Look away. So in the spirit of whataboutism or whatever, I don't know if you use that term right, when we went to the Masters this year, um, we both watched Scotty Scheffler on the putting green and thought something looked off. Like he's fighting with his putting coach. They were arguing with each other. He's missing like five footers, one left, one right. And I'm like, that doesn't look good. I just thought, like, that's just, you know, the blip, uh, not a blip, a thing. Yeah. Right. And meanwhile, Cam Smith is just getting dialed, just having a great time on the putting green, putting from like 200 yards away and <laughs> knocking it to like two or three inches. Yeah. He's just out there just enjoying himself. What a dichotomy Scott. between those two dudes. You're right. It was bizarre to watch. It was like Scotty is grinding over three footers with 14 coaches and Cam Smith throws like we would at the Muni throw two balls down and start putting 60 footers to an inch. And like, like I'm done. I'm going to go hit, hit a few in the range. See you on first. And, and their uh, strokes gain numbers are reflective of that. So you're right. Uh, this, it could have been, this really could be Scotty Scheffler's year. Instead it's kind of been the year of steady John Rahm, uh, another really good pick going in the U S open. When uh, I kind of, sent you and Mike a list of, of PJ versus US Open venues and winners. And mm-hmm. um, it has been interesting looking at, you know, the US Open has brought out some pretty significant names um, since 2015. Um, Spieth, DJ, Kepka, Kepka, uh, Gary Woodland, who all respect Gary Woodland, maybe kind of the, the least recognizable, recognizable name on this list. Bryson, you know, whether you love or hate Bryson, he seems like a pretty worthy major champion with what he's, he can do with a golf ball. Um, mm-hmm. John Rahm, Matt Fitzpatrick has been a great player for a long time. Maybe not the results in America that many people thought. Um, so it has been really something looking at um, this U S open it. We've had some really worthy, great champions on some really good golf courses. And the one thing I right. like about the, as you pointed out, they're not afraid to go to California, you know, whereas the PGA PGA championship has been in Cali. What one time uh, in the last 20 years, they went to Harding park. Um, and we're not going to see them back in California anytime soon. Whereas, you know, looking at the list, uh, going back to 2000, um, you know, you have obviously the Pebble Beach three times. Um, you have Torrey Pines in there um, and you have Los Angeles Country Club. Uh, they'll be going back to Pebble here in a few years. 
you're getting primetime Cali golf out there, which is kind of fun. Um, you got to throw in Chambers Bay too, being a West Coast venue. So they've not been afraid to go out West where, you know, the conditions are a little bit different. The grass is different. You may not get the massive, um, the, the huge roughs that you're looking at when you get into the Midwest or the East Coast. Um, but I gave a lot of credit for going out there and trying a different venue. Uh, and like we're going to see at LACC this week. Um, what do you know about LACC? Uh, not much. I, I, I know, you know, the, uh, the talk going into this year that I know the people were excited about, you and I were excited about it, is, hey, this is a venue that could fit for Max, for HOMA. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's been a thing that I've watched this year and I'm trying to, you know, hold out hope. And, you know, Max has had some some good times, has, has had some not so great times this year. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure how I feel, uh, you know, going into that for Max and I think when I think of LACC, I am thinking of, okay, who are these California style golfers that, that do well on the West coast swing? Uh, and so that's been, you know, something I think about, but I am really excited because for me, I don't love the U S opens that are just extreme yardage and thick rough. And, and, and yes, these are going to be a long, this can be a long course with, with challenging conditions, but it is a different style than a, just bruiser us open it is and i think you know the fairways are wide although the landing areas they're going to narrow down a little bit um to give you some context and i did a lot of research on lacc because we usually know stuff about us open venues you know and, or you know i love aaron hills my home state uh whistling straights i feel like i know a lot about those courses even though many people don't but this one i was kind of new to um but this was designed by george thomas who unironically or uncoincidentally designed another great golf course just down the road, Riviera. And so this is a similar design philosophy to Riviera. You know, you got an opening par five that's going to be pretty reachable for these guys. You've got some massive, massive elevation changes moving up and down hills and ridges. I think it's going to be a really cool golf course to look at. Um, the renovation that they did starting in 2008, it, it like a lot of old golf courses, and, and we've all been familiar with this, you're listening, you've seen this, that have great designs, but over the years have just been kind of parkland, too many trees, grass overgrowing kind of natural areas. It, it ends up just kind of looking like a wonderful park. Uh, LACC was that, they kind of turned into a park, you know, golf course in, in the um, late 20th century. Uh, and then Gil Hans came in uh, with help from uh, old Jeff Shackelford, love or hate him. The guy really knows golf courses. Um, and I just bought his new book, by the way, which is fantastic. Uh, kind of golf course architecture for dummies. That's not the name of it, but that's how I view it. Um, but they went back to the original design that Thomas had and they, they brought in, you're going to hear a word this week, Mike and, and Hayden, you're going to hear this word Barranca. They, they have this Barranca, which is kind of this dry riverbed that runs through the property that kind of collects floodwaters and rainwaters. You know, and maybe not the roughs can be real deep, but there's going to be guys, you know, dealing with these really weird kind of um, geographic, you know, configurations like barrancas and ridges. And um, I think it's going to be a really cool golf course to look at. Uh, I can see why they haven't been there because this course wasn't ready for US Open 15 years ago, but it certainly seems to be now. Um, and like you said, Hayden, it's, it's going to be a different US Open look. Bermuda rough, you know, Bermuda fairways. Um, and of course, if you even find the weather in California, there's been a lot of rain and not very warm. So the Bermuda is not very thick out there. The rough is not going to be maybe what people think it will be, so which will give guys a chance to, to play different types of shots out of there. That said, they got really fast bent grass greens. They've got fescue around their bunkers that, you know, the ball can go down six inches and maybe not be findable. Man, it's going to be a heck of a, I think short game wise, it's going to be a heck of a tournament. 
Sorry, that was yeah. a long-winded way of saying oh, you're good. Really good golf courses. Yeah, I'm I'm excited, and when even when you talk about okay, this is a course that was uh, designed similar to Riviera. I love watching Riviera. It's one of my. It's become one of my favorite tournaments. Something I'm even a buddy of mine. We're like, man, we got to go see Riviera. We got to go out there and watch this tournament. It looks so awesome. And so that's the the thing that I have hope for this tournament this week is that I'm going to watch this course and it's going to be similar to some of the other great events where I watch this and I go, man, I want to, I wish I could be there. I wish I could be, I wish I could play this course. I wish I could be out there. This looks so fun. I mean, it looks like challenging, but it also looks like a, like a good challenge. I, I, I agree. I think it's going to be really good on television. I think they're going to have this thing looking sharp. I think you're going to get a lot of drone coverage. There's some elevation changes, probably good tigers not playing. Cause it turns out this is a really hard golf course to walk. Um, so I'm really excited about watching and looking at this golf course. Uh, we're going to talk about the field, who can be successful here, what this might look like. We'll be back in a minute. We're going to bring in uh, our, our relative golf expert, gambling expert, Mike Nealon, uh, for the first time, the Enon podcast. He's going to join us and talk a little bit about his feelings about maybe what's going on in golf, but more importantly, where to allocate your resources when it comes to your FanDuel and your DraftKings accounts here in a few days. So we'll be back in a second. Uh, with our good friend, Mike Nealon, this is the E9 podcast on the Free Drop Media Network. All right, we're back. We're going to dive into the 2023 U.S. Open at Los Angeles Country Club. We are joined by competitive golf extraordinaire, not saying good golfer, but he loves competitive golf um, as his pursuit of our club's player of the year um, trophy demonstrates. Uh, this is... Also a gambling extraordinaire who has every college football season one lock a week and uh, works 40% of the time every time. So Mike Nealon, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Josh. What an honor. Excited to, to be here. Um, I'm fortunate that my pursuit of player of the year is already off the rails uh, four tournaments in, but you know, we don't give up. There's, there's a lot of golf left. Well, you got to actually show up and play golf. You've been kind of... Uh, not around much this year. We've missed you. Yeah, it's, let's go to the next topic. Yeah, next topic. Let's move on. Um, <laughs> Mike, before we dive into the, the actual tournament, I am curious because you do, for all the uh, barbs we throw at you, you do have a pretty good solid business acumen. You are um, pretty successful in that regard. How do you see what's going on with this, whatever we want to call it, merger collaboration with PIF? How did you get the news and, and what was your first impression? Yeah, so I got the news came on Twitter, right? Like I was doing my morning routine of eating an unhealthy breakfast and trying to deflect things on my wife that my kid needed. Uh, and then I got the, the Twitter alert that there was a big, the big news in, in the golf world. And I didn't believe it. I thought it was a, a thought it was a joke, right? I thought it was one of those um, things where you get the news and it's your buddy sending it to you and it's not real at the end of the day. And then I did some digging in when you see someone like CNBC, CSNBC put it out. It's real. I was shocked. Is it, is it something that in hindsight, maybe you are not surprised by? Um, and, and man, it, what's yeah, going to happen? Surprised by, right? Like, like, look at you. It almost makes it, it kind of confirms, I think what the initial narrative around live was. It's a joke, right? Like live felt like something that was, a means to an end and now i didn't think the means to an end would would unveil itself what a year a year into this thing 
right? Um, yeah. But it sounds like there was a lot of things going on, whether it be the cost of litigation, this ongoing litigation. You know, the Saudis have unlimited money. Like they're one of the only, like they're royalty. They don't even, I don't even think a trillion dollars is, is the right starting point to figure out their wealth. So, I mean, they're going to be able to drag this stuff out in court forever. And here's the PGA saying, we want to do elevated purses. We want to do all these different things, but we can't do that if all of our money is being pumped into these lawsuits. Yeah. So, you know, from a business perspective, I think it makes sense. Optically, it looks terrible, right, for the PGA. Like, the Monaghan looks, I mean, not six months ago, he was invoking 9-11 families about how bad this was. And then you see CFNBC saying, it's so cringeworthy. And, you know, he looks terrible. I think Greg Norman looks like a, a puppet. Yeah. Like, Greg Norman looks like the guy that, you know, you think you're you're really going things are going well at your company, you've been promoted. You think, hey, maybe this company can't really do what they're doing without me. And then overnight the PE firm comes in and says, I'm sorry, who are you? And by the way, we're <laughs> we're selling the company and, and good luck. Thank you for your, your service. Um, That's what it feels just, like, doesn't uh, it? It's tough. Like it's gotta be like I, I I'm pretty confident he probably had no idea that that's what he was to them. He thought he was yeah. an integral part of this whole process. And it turns well, out it, he got what the call. Oh, go ahead. The day of. Yeah. Like, can you imagine that? Like I'd be ticked off. You know, uh, Hayden and I are big fans of succession. I don't know if you are, but you know, this, it just feels like everybody's been pointing to these comparisons, you know, look, man, Greg Norman's not serious people. You know what I'm saying? Like the, yeah. the serious people are these guys at the top of the food chain. It's the Monahan. It's the, the um, Ramayans. These are the guys who are, they're the Illuminati of this thing, right? They're pulling the strings. And this just proves that like Rory, Greg, you're, you're not serious people. Now, I also want to say this as people have been making the succession comparison. It's really not a succession comparison because really succession, this is, life imitating art imitating life you know because succession is demonstrating to us what goes on behind the scenes you know big fish eat little fish and that's what we're seeing here big fish just eat little fish you can do all the talk that you want the only thing that walks in this world is money and as you pointed out mike these guys have more money than god yeah and listen i don't want to turn this into a succession um homage because i could do it but, you know, it's like Greg Norman feels like Tom almost, right? Or he sits down with Madsen at the table and Madsen's like, you're not going to have anything to do with anything important. But when, you know, the crap hits the fan, you're the one that's going to take it on the face. And you're the pain Tom's sponge, Greg. I do think Tom uh, and Greg may be a little bit different personalities, but the, the idea is probably exactly the same. Like, like yeah. Ramian is the guy who's going to be in there you working his fingers under the hood. Um, hey, I know you're a big succession fan. I, you smiled when I said that. You had to have the same thoughts. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's eerily similar. Uh, but I think it also comes back to this idea that the truth of, yeah, money does just talk, right? It, it, if Matson can just throw out a bunch of money, right, eventually he's going to find a way to make it work. And the same has gone for the PGA Tour is someone came in with a ton of money and they're just going to find a way to make it work. And if Jay Monahan thinks that he's going to have some sort of control here, 
yeah, he might be the CEO. A lot of people think he'll get fired. He's not getting fired because he's the guy who's working for the guy, right? He's Tom here. He's he's the puppet now. Mm-hmm. Rumayan is the is the chairman of this new organization, and the CEO is Monahan, who's going to do all his dirty work. Um, and you're not going to hear much from this dude at all because Monahan is the perfect front man and hypocritical, as Mike pointed out with the 9/11 stuff, front man. Um, but it is it just feels like again life imitating art that's imitating life and um, I'm fascinated to see where it goes this is probably way too much on this subject anyway let's talk about the actual tournament that's coming up Mike you probably heard us talk about the golf course a little bit Um, an interesting golf course Uh, it's going to take guys with uh, as all these tournaments do but probably a lot of creativity to make the way around LACC but also Length will be a factor. Um, you know, this is a big golf course, um, big fairways, big bunkers. Um, it's going to take a lot of strength to move the ball out of this, uh, the rough. Um, Bermuda rough, as you guys are familiar with here in uh, Nashville, is the type of rough that the ball will sink down to the bottom um, and can be really tough to kind of control coming out of. If you can get more loft on a club in there, the better off you're going to be. Um, Hayden, I know you mentioned Max Homa. I'm not as... Um, uh, bullish on him as you are but what are your feelings about some of these favorites going to the tournament this year before we kind of kick it over to mike to give us some ideas about where our money should go well as i'm looking at this tournament this year i I think you have to first just understand in my view i think there's like maybe 10 guys that could actually win this tournament which is kind of a bummer going into this week of like well this is all kind of just a show and it's going to come down to probably like one of 10 people but I guess my question is, will Max be one of those 10 people? I think when I've been said I'm excited about him, I don't know if he actually can do it. I just, I am hopeful that he will play well because uh, I would love to see him in the mix. I, I don't think his game right now is where he's going to be able to win it. But I, we've also seen, like, he becomes a different golfer when he plays on the West Coast, right? We, we, you, you know this from your gambling uh, I mean, sorry, uh, investments. Um, <laughs> investments. If, when when you play when he plays on the West Coast, you can just count like, hey, top twenty-five. Let's go ahead and book it. You know, we're gonna max on a T twenty-five. It's 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 just like printing money. Um, the other thing I just look at is one of the things I'm curious for what y'all think. I've been looking at this pairing that Max is in with Colin uh, and Scheffler. Uh, so Colin Morcow and Scotty Scheffler. How would you rank those three if you were like, okay, this is how this group is going to stack up over the next four days. You got Scheffler, Morikawa, and Homa. What is your likely one, two, three out of that group? I think you're – Mike, I'll let you take that you one. To go, yeah, you've got to go with Scotty in that group as number one. And I think it's a toss-up between Morikawa and, and Homa. I mean, everyone's talking about Homa being this, you know, the pageantry of a homecoming. Uh, you know, Morikawa grew up in L.A., Patrick Cantlay grew up in LA. They're not getting any of the pomp and circumstance that Homa is. And it, it reminds me a little bit of Rory and Portrush, right? Uh, this, uh, the hero comes home and then he pumps his first tee shot OB and shoots what, a 79 <laughs> yeah. or 77 on day one? Like, misses the cut. I mean, he had a 65 on the second round, but I don't know. It's The lights get real bright for Max and he's a real chill guy, but you know, he's probably the number one Aside from Brooks and Phil this week, an interview request. He's getting out of his rhythm a little bit. Got his whole family there. You mean only got guys like Cantlay and Morikawa, who probably mean just as much, you know, Sahith Kigala, that are kind of under the radar on this. So 
and, and what Morikawa is still hurt, right? Is that confirmed? I mean, it looks doesn't seem great for him. No, yeah. but you know, playing for the home crowd can can dull a lot of those little you know dings and stings. Yeah, um, I like pairing Scotty, Colin, and Max. I think that's my one, two, three. So Scotty's got to be like, I mean, he's the betting favorite. You know, he is plus seven hundred right now, um, and you can't. Well, I've got the odds. Blame him. I got the morning. What, what, I got the morning line. He's, let's do it. What do you? Where, where is he right now in your in your odds sheet? He's plus six fifty going off thirteen. Oh, oh plus six fifty. What? A, you can't put money on that under under any circumstance. And I know, Mike, you might recommend people do that, and you wouldn't be crazy for doing it. That'd be insane, plus six fifty. But it shows how good he's hitting the golf ball. Yeah, we're not going to be advising a, a shuffler about this week. <laughs> um, if he even puts decently and he keeps hitting the ball like he is, he wins. I mean, it's just, it's not even fun to even talk about Hayden. It's going to be that boring US Open that you talk about. And it does seem like a golf course that may be set up for someone like him. Um, all that said, Michael, if you're looking at your odd sheets, uh, what do you like? Talk dirty to right. Mike. Well, let's put some logic behind this, right? Because the way I bet, and I would not advise anyone to do this. Um, but it's important if you're going to take my advice, you understand where it's coming from and always, always bet responsibly. Uh, I'm about 80% logic and 20% gut. So let's just talk about some stats that I think drive, at least where my mind goes, and I'm, I'm starting to put together my card for the weekend. These are U.S. Open specific. Eight of the last 10 U.S. Open winners, it was their first major. Nine of the last 10 U.S. Open winners had finished inside the top 10 in one of their last two majors. The last eight U.S. Open winners had finished inside the top 13 of their most recent major start. Ten of the last 10, 10 of 10 U.S. Open winners were ranked inside the top 30 at the time of their U.S. Open victory. Six of the 10 inside the top 10. Like, those are... Like that gives you a roadmap of, okay, I can start to cross names off, bring them in. If you're just trying to put the data to work. So it's like, who are you looking for? Well, I'm sorry, someone who's posted a top 10 in the last two majors, someone who's posted a top 13 in the last major of the season, someone who ranks inside the world top 30. Um, and then I start to say, well, where's the value in that? Right. Cause you got your top ones, your Scheffler, right. Rom, Kepka, Hoblin, like, all right, fine. Uh, you know, when we look at that, it's like, okay, let's take a look now at the odds. You know, the odds of the last 10 winners, like Matt Fitzpatrick, plus 3,000, plus 1,000, plus 2,500. You mentioned Gary Woodland earlier. Don't you bring any Gary Woodland hate into this group. <laughs> Gary Woodland, he's, he's going to be a dark horse guy for me. Okay, let's go. He is, the, he is the outlier, right? So all that to be said, here's what that means to me. I think there's a pretty clear path to make some money this weekend, but it's a little unorthodox and it's just going to depend on which betting platform you are using. So I tried to go with just the most classic bets. Keep it interesting to win. Right. Jordan Spieth, a name I have not heard all day. Holy cow. First off, that's a, what a man. You just, what you just come out? Just throwing haymakers. What? All right. Hold on. Let's not, let's, for what, Jordan. 
Okay. Okay. So that's, this is a value bet. I don't want to get all worked up in, in kind of favorites and you're right about not betting, you know, the heavy favorites, but that is a, I mean, he's coming off an injury. He's a guy that has, you know, his line has always moved a few just by the emotional connection people have to him. Is he a real chance to win? Is that a bet that could cash? <clears throat> On paper? No. But if you look at his last one, four U.S. Open finishes, <laughs> P65, cut, P19, P37, like not ideal. But he's been there. You know, West Coast guy, Chambers Bay, kind of a quirky setup. I'm not going to say it's, it's very similar to um, LACC, but like, all right, the course sets up for you to bomb the ball, right? He's not been driving the ball well. So I think he can maybe benefit from these wider fairways. He's going to be able to scramble like he, he argues one of the best scramblers on tour. I'm sure there's a stat for that, but there's where my gut comes in at 20%. I don't know. Something about speed just not being talked about. By all accounts, his wrist injury that he was talking about is 100%. Everything was precautionary. I like Jordan Spieth. And, and yeah, it's value. But to me, if I'm sitting there, it's like, why not Jordan Spieth? Uh, oh, boy. Coach, why not Jordan Spieth? Hayden. Why not? Uh, well, um, I, I think the hard thing for me is I look at where Jordan is. Like, I'm looking at a site that has him at plus uh, to, to uh, similar similar odds to, like, Justin Thomas, Morikawa, Cam Smith, Tony Finau. And I would almost lean more towards, like, a Tony Finau of, as far as, like, being able to maybe get around this golf course. So, I, don't, I mean, I, I think I have a hard time picking Jordan just because I – to win. I, I would pick Jordan for a, a top 25. I, I think that would be, like, for me, that's where I would go. But I don't know. It's it's hard to believe that Jordan can do it on a U.S. Open stage. Like it just does not seem like that his game is built for that. I don't know. Well, I put you on the spot there. Twenty-two to one, though, <clears throat> it's kind of appealing. But you feel like it really should be about twenty-eight to one. I feel like his popularity drives that number a little bit. Although, Mike, anybody else in that twenty-two to one area that you like? Oh, we get better than 22 to one. Okay, so, let's go. And, and let me just, let me just say this. I'm not, if, if we're doing a unit betting conversation here, of how much am I putting on feet to win compared to say someone like uh, Corey Connors in the top 20, I'm putting a lot more on Corey Connors in the top 20 than I'm going to be putting on Jordan speak to win. Right. That's, That's a, a somewhat of a flyer, but you know, let's get now into the, kind of the, the top five finishes, right? Because you can really bet these things. Winner, top five, top 10, top 20. Uh, I mean, Victor Hovland, top five finish. Like, what's the yes. argument against that, right? What's oh, the, it, so look, sexy. It, I look at guys and I'm, I'm, I'm very judgmental with golfers. I say, can, this, can I see this guy winning? Can I see him hoisting a trophy? Like, I didn't used to see it with Hovland. I'm starting to be able to see it with Hovland right? He's trending in the right direction. Do I think he wins? I don't think he wins. Top five. I think he, I think that's about as uh, safe of a bet as you can make in a top five finisher outside of maybe Brooks Kepka, but I'll talk about him in a minute. I mean, Hovland's obviously an elite ball striker. I mean, he's, he's maybe up there with Scotty. His short game has always been in question, but man, his touch looks so good at the PGA. Like 
he looked like he's he's figuring it out around the greens, which should I, mean, I like that, Mike. I like it. What's what's the what's yeah. the top five odds on him? Plus two seventy five. So that's that's good, right? You can double like your money that. on a top five, or double to half your money on top five on Victor Hovland. Like it's top ten. So my first you know, when I started looking at the the odds a week ago, I was like, all right, this is a guy I'd probably bet to miss the cut. And then I started doing a little more looking up on LACC kind of stats. Bryson top ten. I think this this may this may work out for him. Um, he's at plus three fifty, which I appreciate uh, in terms of value. When we went through those stats earlier, talking about you know all the things that have to happen for you know a major winner to be crowned here at the U.S. Open, DeChambeau fits almost all of them in terms of where he's finished in his last two majors, where he's uh, he's playing well. I like DeChambeau as a top 10 here. I, I think he's got his game in a decent place. I think he's healthy. Um, what do you think about that? Uh, other than the fact that he is a completely unaware, dim-witted bozo. Um, sorry, that is unfair. Uh, his interview on CNN was not inspiring. Uh, Coach, am I crazy for well, thinking you, that? I'll tell you where he is aware. He, he's aware when he's on these Gil Hans redesigns, right? Oh. He's won... Right. Yeah. So listen to this. Three of his wins have come on Johan's redesign. I think there's some value in that, right? There is some value in that. I like that. That's, hey man, that's some pretty good insider knowledge right there or outsider knowledge. Like the last, into. the last U.S. Open, the, U, the only U.S. Open he won, he won at Wingfoot and it was a redesign by Gil Hans. Okay. So, there's some oh data behind that. Coach, is he talking us into All Bryson? Right. Well, I, I I see I see the I see Mike's point. Um, we don't, you know, I, I don't care about Bryson. You know, you don't get sucked into Bryson on CNN, right? Like it doesn't matter if Bryson is Chris Licht or whatever. Um, like the idea is like that's actually creates value. Like the more that Bryson sounds stupid and more people hate him, they're probably going to lower like their, the odds of him winning, like it doesn't affect his golf. Like he is, if he's a good golfer, then he's going to show up and he, God, you're right. he's built, he's built his game to play U S uh, opens. Take gum at kneeling. Now he will, he will likely, you know, have some, some, some meltdown with a ruling uh, at some point. Uh, but at the same time, he, he has built his entire game around a course like this. Oh, man, I, I, you're right. I see Baranka controversy with Bryson. I think we have Baranka controversy. I like Jeff Shackelford said this really well. He goes, the redesigned Barankas, they look nasty, but we want you to find your ball in there. They, they want you to find it in there in some weird spot. And then Bryson's yeah. going to complain about it being embedded or it's like a rock. Can he move? It's, oh, I love it. Can I, can I gamble on Bryson complaining about a ruling in a Baranka? There you go, Mike. I threw Barankin four times there for you just to kind of push it. All right, um, you guys may have talked um, me into this. It, you're right. It seems like a Bryson course. Yeah. We actually, sidebar on the weird rulings, played the other day, and a, a turtle had went into the bunker and just wreaked havoc, and we weren't quite sure what that ruling was. We had just kicked up the sand everywhere. Could we re-rake it? I don't know. Can someone tell me that? Uh, I don't think you can re-rake animal markings in a bunker you could if they had damaged the golf course like the general area 
that's a coach coach copeland who's a a um, master state championship level high school golf coach might know better than me <clears throat> i've not experienced the uh, the turtle uh the turtle issue the turtle complex um i how about the turtle head have you had that no nah, no none of that <laughs> um michael right, good question well, we'll, we'll, leave that, we'll leave that to the listeners to answer um top 10 all right so we got you are looking at spieth 22 to 1 to win hovland top five bryson top 10 i like these and then i got you a top 20 finish in Corey connor's the guy shows up for uh, every major Corey Connors is like every day of the tournament he's hovering in like the top 20 top 15 top 10 he'll dip in and then he dips back but he's an elite ball striker the guy shows up to these tournaments he's not going to win the thing I don't think he's going to be sitting on you know the last day in contention but Corey Connors for me over the last two years has just been about as automatic as it gets in turn of top 20 you can get Corey Connors in top 20 at plus 210. Like I, I will, that is a mortgage bet for me. Uh, I will, I will Oof. take that all day. I've heard him say mortgage bet before and um, it has cost me my mortgage a couple of times, but yeah, no, it doesn't always work couple, out, but it also has worked out. <clears throat> Absolutely. Corey Connors, man, you know, you're going to get one elite round out of him. You know, you're going to get one round. You hope it's in the one of the first two that gets him over the cut line. You're gonna get one. You're gonna get one elite round out of him, and then you're gonna get one stinker. Um, and you hope the elite round overweighs the stinker. But man, it—if this is a tournament where elevated par to a U.S. Open score, you know, think about six, seven, eight under, like the PGA score is the winning score instead of like an even par. That might be a good Connors course. It might be a good Connors number. I like it. Yeah, I love it. All <laughs> right, I'll give you two more real quick. Uh, I think I think this is a real fun bet, right? is make the cut, miss the cut. So oh, yeah. Sam Bennett, Sam Bennett. All right, a, a recent- US Masters amateur champion, fame. Sam Bennett, yep. Right, fun fact, you know he's ranked like 63rd? Oh, he's no longer amateur. He's now professionally graduated. Yep, that's right. But he ended the season ranked 63rd in the country in terms of college golf ranking. That's, that's wild to me. Um, especially when you consider the fact he's two of two in terms of making the cut at majors. He made it last year at Brookline, and he made it at the Masters. What's even more fun is, if you were talking about those pairings earlier, he's with Cam Smith and Matt Fitzpatrick. Like that's, a, that's a pretty you know, blockbuster you know, twosome right there between Cam Smith and Matt Fitzpatrick. And then you got Sam Bennett in there. But so you know, clearly the, 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 you know, they want him on TV. They want that, that kind of, a, oh, this guy was great at the Masters. He's now pro. I think he's going to show up and I think he's going to make the cut and you can get him making the cut for plus 140. Like, there's really no reason to think he can't make the cut at this point. Um, in the second prop bet, is there going to be a hole in one? Hell no, there's not going to be a hole in one. Like, Oh, you, no, the answer is no. And, and, okay. And what five par threes, those yardages, 228, 284, 290, 171, 124. So, and those short ones are littered with, with hazards. 
You know, the, the one, the one twenty four hole I was reading, they're actually going to shorten that to 92 yards for one of the rounds. And you think that's an easy hole. And then you look at that green design and it looks like if you've ever been to Sweeten's Cove, I don't know if any of our listeners have been there. It yep. looks like one of those Sweeten Cove's greens where like it, you have about a thumbnail to land it on and everything else swales away in different directions. It, those bar, five par threes are bananas for a US Open golf course. Like that's a lot of par threes. Uh, and that probably will decide the tournament. There are also three par fives as well. So that's kind of cool that we're not kind of this usual two par fives, three, four par threes. But Mike, I have a hard time rooting against hole ones. I like the whole one. Tell me the odds, because I'd rather bet for the whole one and root for every, but every time someone tees off on a par three, like you're the guy who's bet the don't come line at the craps table, man. Like, what is this? Oh, I love to watch the world burn. Like that's <laughs> part of my whole <laughs> this whole live thing this whole live merger yeah. like it's, it's fantastic television it's incredible to watch unfold uh i mean we made, we made a great night three, of tv as this was once said yeah uh exactly. yeah. um i mean you're at minus 110 right now for a hole in one uh, so, so vegas likes the hole in one happening but josh i mean you talk about 124 yards they're going to take it down to 90 something the U.S. Open is not sitting there saying we want them to give everyone an opportunity to make a hole in one. Like if they're doing yeah. that, they know that this thing is diabolical. You're right. Uh, You're right. I just my favorite bet is always the hole in one bet. My favorite bet in the world is the hole in one on 16 at the Masters. It's just because every time they cut away in TV, like there's a minute ago on 16 at Augusta, and like, <laughs> like yeah, it's my hole in one bet's about the cash. I love that moment. I, again, that's totally an emotional thing because you're probably right, Mike. There's probably not going to be a hole in one. Well, but I will say that I almost, when I see the long yards, oftentimes I even get a little more excited about the chance of a hole in one because you have these balls rolling out, right? Instead of a ball landing and stopping or a ball landing and sticking, right? Like the, there is, I feel like there's almost, oftentimes more of a chance that a ball is going to roll in the hole because it's you know hit off a, a wood or a long iron um yeah i think of more almost rolling you know rolling that ball up on the part long par four that almost rolled into the hole it felt like for uh at, at harding park and that that is that's i mean that's certainly a possibility yeah and you know and, and that's like kind of the design of these these um yeah, these thomas golf courses um they always have that roll, like the fourth hole Riviera, where it's a long one, but it kind of rolls out and filters towards the hole. And then you have a drivable par four, right? Like at Riviera, it's the 10th hole. Um, here, it's going to be the, uh, I believe it's the 11th hole. No, I'm sorry. It's the sixth hole. The sixth hole here is going to be drivable. So you have kind of that extra shot, uh, Michael, for, for a hole one. Although when's the last time we saw a hole one on a par four in a major tournament or any tournament? I think it's happened one time. That said... Um, it certainly is exciting to watch that ball roll towards the green and like kind of feel like it might kind of go towards the hole. Oh, I think we need to change your perspective on exciting because it's just as exciting for me to root for it to miss the hole as well. <laughs> fair, <laughs> fair, fair enough. Some men do just want to watch the world burn. Okay. When you've got I money, love when you're betting, when you're betting, everything's fun. <laughs> you're right. Until Especially if you're winning until it's not. Um, Anything else you're looking at for this week as far as bets uh, or just something yeah, you're, you're a, excited to see? A little bit of a hometown pick here, but I like the low amateur Gordon Sargent. I mean, he's uh, mm. didn't really have the, the showing at the Masters that I think everyone expected, but here's some uh, – this was pretty interesting to me. He's right now 400 to 1, right? He's going off plus 40,000. 
he ain't going to win the thing. Missed the cut at the Masters. It's his first U.S. Open. But listen to the names that he's that Vegas thinks he has a better shot than. Like Vegas is saying, Logan, or excuse me, Gordon Sargent can beat over a dancer, Luke List, Billy Horschel, Alex Marine, Joel Damon. Like Vegas believes Gordon Sargent is better than all those guys. I mean, it's hard to disagree with them, especially like Billy Horschel. Like he may withdraw. Uh, who knows what he's going to do? Um, I want the withdraw. <laughs> when you find it, let me know because I'll take it. Like that guy, poor guy. Like I like Billy Orschel, and he just the WD odds. You do, yeah. but man, it was heartbreaking uh, at the memorial. Heartbreaking for the defending champion to be in tears. <laughs> I felt like we all felt his pain. Michael, you felt his pain. That dude, defending championship got eighty four, and he's just like, oh god, through tears. He actually, felt like him. I saw it, and I was like, I saw him doing it, and I go like, like come on, dude, like, get a grip. What are you doing? Like, grow up. And then I, I sat there for a minute. And I was like, you know, if I just let my emotions go, even on like a Saturday morning game, I could, I could see myself really breaking down after round two. <laughs> I've been with you when you've broken it. down after a Saturday morning round. I've, I think I've <laughs> held you. I know you've held me. Well, yeah, many forget you were with me the first time I broke 80. Like that was, was. a special moment. We'll share forever. That was, it, um, it, Michael, it, it really, honestly speaking, it says a lot about my golf game. That's probably the highlight of my golf life in the last two years is, is watching you grind out the 79 um, at our home club and uh, celebrating with you afterwards. What a day. What a day. Yeah, it was. Uh, I've never forgot it. I think about it every day. So. Yeah. <laughs> I've always, I felt like a state of my game. I feel like I feel like the parent watched their kid walk for the first time. You just feel like they're going to run into the corner of the table at any point or stick their finger into the power outlet. It just it felt like it could come unglued, but it didn't. We we got to home base. Um, all right, I love that, that bet. So. <laughs> well, it's coming, baby. You got to play golf to do it. Let's. All right, we'll revisit that later. Uh, I love those. More things. Yeah, let's go. Dark horse Sahith Tagala. I think he's just going to play well. I'm not saying he's yep. going to win the tournament, but. Uh, he did an interview uh, a few weeks ago. He's played this course over 30 times. Uh, there's not a player in this tournament that's going to be able to say that. He's familiar with it. Granted, the lights are bright, but the kid plays. The kid shows up. Um, so you you, so, uh, you like putting putting what what's the what's the uh, the bet on him to win? So he's going finish? off at 100, 100, 100 to one right now. Uh, oh. I put the Heath as a top 20, and then I'll sprinkle you know, I'll sprinkle uh, you know 10 bucks on him is a winner just to, just to, just in case it happens. Yeah. thousand dollars. Sure. Why not? Um, And yeah, that's, you notice I didn't say anything about Brooks who's, I can't even hide the fact that I'm probably the biggest Brooks skeptic fan in the world. Uh, Well, you guys share the same swing coach. So we, we all know this or some sort of coach, life coach. Yeah. Slightly different results, but, um, (laughs) arm size is similar. Thank you. That. Yeah. Um, it, th- like this is a hundred percent gut, right? That I don't think Brooks is going to win this, and and I would be surprised if Brooks is, you know, not even in the top five. Like I just look at his Instagram. He's been on like a vacation for the last ten days with his girlfriend. They've got a kid coming. Uh, every time Brooks has won a major, he's played the week prior. He did not play last week, right? So. He's just, he's been at the Florida Panthers games. He's been at the Miami Heat games. Like that week after the, uh, the PGA, like it was, it was an insane bender he went on. So I don't know where he's been able to sit down at the range and play since then. Um, 
Yeah, we'll but right, it's a yeah, know, yeah but Brooks Kapka. But I don't blame you. It, I I get it. I felt like we we wrote him off going to the PGA, and and now look at us again. Yeah, and if he wins, like like think about this. If he wins, like right now he's got six majors, or sorry, five majors at the age of like thirty three. Bill didn't have his first one until thirty four. I guess he wins his six, which he's gonna do, whether it's this week, this year, next year. Like that puts him at, at six majors. I mean, you're talking about people that are like Phil, Sir Nick Faldo, Lee Trevino. Like, give the guy some respect. Those are big names, right? Yeah. Big and he's names. 33 and is his prime. Like, let's go one <laughs> step further and, and just hope he makes seven. I hope he makes seven. Now you're talking about Bobby Jones, Arnold Palmer, Sam Sneed, like Harry Barton. Like, this guy could be one of the greatest golfers of all time. And we could look be. at him like, yeah. Because, because, Mike, he doesn't show up for regular events. He doesn't care about them. And at certain points, you got to credit Tiger's 81 victories as something. You know, you got you to gotta look at winning tournaments and consistent oh, greatness yes. as something. And he's yeah. not shown that that's important. And I just, that's where it's really tough for me. I, I, I don't know if he gets past Lee Trevino, because at least Lee Trevino grinded out regular events. He cared it, about the competitiveness. And Bryson just doesn't, doesn't understand how much the Buick Invitational means. And that's where I just, or, or, or Brooks. <laughs> or Brooks. Sorry. It's my, the, my the big slip. Brooks just doesn't understand how much the the Buick Invitational means to us. Yeah, and that's right. where he's, oh, Mike, he's you're not wrong. The, I've got to go. He's in rare. Yeah, he's in rare. So, Coach, before you go, I want to give you a chance, Hayden, to speak to a couple names that we haven't talked about yet: John Rahm, Roy McIlroy. I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you one minute, then you can go to work. Your real job. What do you got? Oh gosh. Uh, well, like I said before, I, I hope that Rory comes up with some kind of edge that I just, I, I don't feel very excited about him. I've kind of given up. Um, but this is where he usually ropadopes us and, and comes out firing. And, and so maybe there is a zag there where Rory plays well this week, but I'm not, I'm not optimistic about it. I think like you said, he's just, he's got to be exhausted and worn out and, He's going to, like, I, I think Rory is probably like a guaranteed top 25, top 10 kind of guy this week that he will find his backdoor top 10 like he normally does in a major. Rom, it is so strange how quiet it's been about Rom. And, you know, he he won out here at uh, Riviera. Uh, and, like, he certainly seems like he would make the most sense. But then also he seems like he's kind of been off the rails as well when it comes to his golf game. But I – I also just have a hard time picking Scotty with how he's putted. So I really, I think that it's kind of wide open as far as, yes, there's only maybe 10 to 20 players that could actually win this thing. But I think in that field, it's kind of a, a, a toss up as to who can come out of that field. I think if I, if you had to, you know, be like, pick one of those people, maybe I would just go with Rom because I'd still believe that he just, when he is on, he is unstoppable. Uh, and maybe he'll be on this week. Um, but so that if I had to, if, if I had to pick one person that I was like, I'm just going to ride with this guy, it's, it's going to be Rom. So you sound like if you were doing the gambling, you would take that field bet minus Rory, Scotty, and Rom, and you probably yeah. get even money odds on that too, as yeah. well, weirdly enough, because of how well mm -hmm. they're playing. Oh, that's yeah. uh, backward, backward, back, round back, I don't know, backtracking gambling advice from Hayden Copeland. That's right. He goes off to do uh, kids camp for the rest of the day. Uh, the hats on backwards rally cap. 
I'm going to go right. tell the kids who they should bet on. All right, guys, That'll here's be- where you want to allocate Jordan your Jolly Spieth. Jordan Spieth, the guy you want to bet on. <laughs> there it is. All right, Hayden, we'll let you go till next time. We'll do a little recap uh, next week, and uh, Mike and I will close this thing out for you. Thanks for your time. Thanks. See ya. All right. Michael, I, I like your bets. I want to um, revisit a couple names because I am shorting Max Homa. Am I wrong? No, you're you're 100 right. I I don't see it. And like hometown kid, what he owns the course record that was like in 2013, and it was an absolute anomaly. Like you know, they've tuned this course up significantly. I think the lights are going to, I think the, it's too much, like I said earlier, that Rory Portrush storyline. Um, I don't, I mean, I think he makes the cut, but I don't think he's, I don't even think he sniffed top 20, to be honest with you, by the time the dust settles. Yeah. It feels like when you least expect it, expect it with him. And this is the opposite of that. And you're right. That course record, people are harping on that. That doesn't mean anything. That's a different golf course than what they're going to see this week. And, uh, Man, he hasn't shown he hasn't shown the ability to do it under those bright lights quite yet. Not that Riviera uh, a couple of years ago wasn't a bright light, but that's a little different than what this is. Um, another name I want to throw at you um, as we kind of wrap things up, um, and, and Hayden mentioned him I think earlier, but another local guy, Tony Finau. How are we feeling about Tony Finau this week? Is he worth uh, a little investment, or is it just an emotional investment? I don't know. I don't know if his family's there or not. If his family's there. Is his 47 children? Yeah. Tony's one of those guys that I mentioned earlier where I just, I ask myself, can I see him hoisting a trophy? And I don't right now, right? It's, I feel like he'll compete, but you talked about Connor's kind of laying an egg every, every, uh, you know, major in terms of one of his rounds. I feel like Tony's the same way and Tony seemed to come at the worst possible time. Like, I don't necessarily have faith that Tony can go out there and string together four consistent rounds around even par, a couple under, to contend for any sort of, you know, Sunday uh, featured pairing. Uh, I think he's probably a top 20 guy, but I don't see him threatening the top of the leaderboard much at all. Yeah. Like, I'm, if, I'm, if I'm betting, like, I'm looking at someone, which I will be betting, not if I'm betting, when I'm betting, when I bet. Like, I'm probably taking a guy like Sahith Tagala just because of the, the value that's there with him over a guy like Tony Finau, who going to have you know, a lot better odds, but I think really their, their floors are both pretty similar and their ceilings. Obviously Tony's better at this point, but I just think the value play would be Sahit Tagalo when you put those two up against each other. Yeah. I do think there's going to be a lot of support for Tony this week. I think people are rooting for him. They want to see him kind of get the big one, if you will, but you know, his, his career has been more, um, flash than bang, you know, and uh, maybe this will be the bang, but it doesn't quite feel like it. I, I kind of agree with you. Um, how about JT, man? Like, he's another guy. Like, he's going to oh. get favorable odds, you know. I think he's listed, you know, plus 4,000, which is actually pretty high for him. He's in the Justin Rose kind of um, Cam Young, uh, Tony Fino field. Um, but, man, he's not been shown even the ability to kind of sniff these, these last few majors. Yeah, and if you like, you go out there into the Twitterverse. Yeah, everyone's saying he's battling some injury, and he's not. It's not. He's not disclosing what it is, but I, I kind of believe it, right? Like he, he looks terrible, like when he's playing. And 
Yeah. Like if you're asking me to fade someone to miss the cut, like if you're saying like what's a what's a decent I don't have the odds off the top of my head, but like I could see JT just missing the cut on this one and kind of shut maybe shutting it down for a while, maybe until the open saying, I gotta go figure some stuff out. Like I, I can't keep doing this. It's it's off my game's off. So yeah, I wouldn't I'm not touching him unless it's to miss the cut. Because I'm sure that's probably a pretty decent value. All right. Well, I'm gonna give you um my my obvious pick. And I know it's plus 650 right now. I just think Scotty Scheffler wins the U.S. Open this week. It's just so, my gosh, if he can just get the putting, it doesn't have to be good, man. It just has to be like average. I feel like he wins this thing going away. And it's so boring and unsexy and whatever. But good Lord, if I had to just be like, you gave me $1,000 to pick one guy, it's that guy. I I mean, is that crazy? Uh, It's crazy to bet it on, on him to win. Right, I think like, so much can happen for a winning pick. But if you're giving me a thousand dollars and saying Scotty Scheffler top five, I'm taking that. Like, I think those are probably going to go off at like maybe like plus two ten. I can look it up, but like, yeah, he's going to compete. Like, that's about as big of a lock as you can get. Like, in terms of who he's going to compete, he's going to be near the top of the leaderboard, putting or not. And I think he's he was actually just. He, Tinkering with a putter this morning, like a new one. You oh don't boy. love that, but, but you know, it's the guy's shown he can play in these events. So here's here's what it comes down to. You know, can you hold together the last few holes? And here are the last four holes at LACC: one par five, the fifteenth hole, six hundred twenty-three yards. Then the last three holes are par fours: five forty-three, five twenty. 493. Those are the length of our par fives at our home course. That's 2,200 yards of holes in four holes. 2,200 yards of holes in four holes. You got to have someone who can flat out hit the golf ball to close this golf tournament. Otherwise, guys are going to be puking all over themselves. And I just think he's just the best ball striker in the world. And it's not even close. And if I have to have someone to navigate those four holes to win a tournament, if he's close, you know, I think it's him. Um, but me, you're right. Me, it's tough to put a, name it's tough to put money on those odds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Xander. Again, we haven't talked about him. He's so boring, man. It's like, oh, Xander. You know, but yeah, if you like, an, he, he can't layer like the same to me. He's like, ugh, do I really have to like talk about them again until they do something? At least, I mean, at least Xander has the, the Olympics thing. But he, he, he shows up to the U.S. Open. The kid can play, right? He's at plus 1,800. Like, that's that's worth yeah. a look. Because uh, he's a name that it's has a- been on Sunday at the top of the leaderboard, right? It's, he's been there. Like, he's, you know, CBS has a little box in the bottom, and it only lists, like, the top three. And, you know, he's right, you know, right there getting in. Now, he fades, but, you know. Again, like, I like a guy like, like Xander over something. Like, McElroy is plus 1,200 right now. I'm taking Xander over. Like, that, that to me, is a no-brainer. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, which one of those two outright you think is a better chance to win the tournament without, if you're just not even gambling on it, if, if you're just looking at the realistic nature of golf, like which one of those two guys, if you're looking at Rory versus Xander. Oh, I think, I think Xander, I, I just like Rory is in such a, like what's going through that guy's head. Like when he lays his head down on the pillow at night, like all the things that are going on with him between the live thing, the, the PIF merger, like his game's not necessarily great right now. He's he, he's paired with Brooks too, right? Like yeah. like Brooks is licking his chops. Brooks is like, this is fantastic. Like I can't wait to just 
hover over you and all that stuff that like i was surprised rory slipped up i was like i still hate live this stuff like yeah uh, it's like it, it came across as like you've been so polished in this and granted you got screwed but like you didn't have to say that and i think brooks is going to feed off of it because the other guy in their pairing and grouping is hideki and i mean this in all seriousness like i'm not sure if there's what the language barrier is so like the only person that that rory may be able to like bounce stuff off of walking down the fairway could be Brooks, and that's an awkward situation, right? So I just don't see it for Rory. The, the cards don't line up for me. Yeah, I'm afraid you're right. I, I want to root for him, but I'm afraid you're right. All right, as we wrap up, I'm going to throw one last name at you, and this is where my money is this week. This is if I have, if I have to make my value bet, and I love your Thigala bet, um, but if I have to make my value bet or a guy that I think can win, that it's worth putting you know, 20 bucks onto his odds, Ricky Fowler. I just feel like he's under the radar. He's hitting it so good. Oh, you laugh. Do it. Laugh at me. Ricky Fowler. He's putting and strokes game to the green. He's really high. I am saying little Ricky Fowler becomes big Ricky Fowler this week at LACC. I can't wait the next time we talk because I think we're gonna have a winner. You laugh. You laugh at me. I get it. I, I literally have it written down. I'm looking for my notes of players I fade heavily and Ricky is right there. Uh, you have notes. I, I wish you the best of luck. Oh, oh I, I got to wish you the best of luck. Oh my goodness, Michael! Like his, he's been top fifteen in like ten of his last twelve tournaments. He's 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 right there. He's knocking on the door. Saying he's back. I'm saying he's back, baby. He's back. I want to I reform. hope he is because it's it's been so awkward the last few years to see these like social media posts where like JP and Jordan and all these guys are out partying. And it's like, Oh, and then there's Ricky, like, like, you know, losing his status, can't qualify for anything. And it's like, ah, oh, Ricky's just, I think he like was become the next smiley Kaufman. Oh, wow. You just invoked smiley Kaufman who broadcaster smiley Kaufman. I, you know what? I shame on you. You are, you're better than that. Neilan. he's Ricky Fowler is not smiley Kaufman. Well, he, in that friend group, he started to kind of feel like it. Um, <laughs> I think all right, I got one thing for you. All right. I got one thing. And it's not, it's not gambling related. It was just a fact. I was doing my research that I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like, this is ridiculous. So ticket sales for this thing. This is the, will be the least attended from a ticket perspective in terms of how many tickets they've made available. U.S. Open in history. They're only made 22,000 tickets available. Yeah. Of those 22,000, take a guess how many are for general admission. So guys like you and me, if we were. So I, I think, I think I read this because I, I had the same note written down as you. I couldn't believe how few tickets. Like Augusta has 70,000 a day at least, and they don't even report yeah. their numbers. So, um, I think I read that 40% are going to corporate sponsors and 60% to the general public. Is that right? Like, like 12,000 tickets a day to the general public. Am I wrong on that? So, so flip it. It's 8,000 tickets are available to the general public. 14,000 are considered high-end corporate hospitality. That's so gross, dude. That is so gross. That is almost, it makes you want to puke. Like what's going on? What are we doing here? It's textable. Like it's, and I'll, again, it's hard for me. I, I'm not smart enough to be able to look out the window and figure out what 8,000 people would look like. But I wonder on TV what it'll look like on Sunday following the, you know, the final pairing. It's going to look like uh, Harding Park and Morikawa we'll, during COVID. 
Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, 8,000 zombies walking around. Um, oh, that's that's so bad. Yeah, I saw I, that I, same that thing. Like, it was so frustrating to read that. I was like, that sucks. Yeah. And so then I went and on I, StubHub to see how much ticket would cost. And you definitely get in for like on Sunday for 380 bucks, which I was like, yeah. that something's not adding up. But, you know, okay. Yeah. Well, you know, USGA, grow the game. That's your one job. That's That stinks. And I know, I know um, with the topography, if you're wondering why, they only have 22,000 a day. It's a very difficult golf course to move people around. Again, the Barranca makes it really tough. There's two oh. ridges that run through the golf course. And so I know yeah, it's Barranca. a tough place to put spectators. Always the Barrancas get in the way. Um, but yeah, I saw that same thing. I had no idea that the disparity was that egregious. That is, the USGA has got to do better. That's so bad, man. Tough. Tough look. That's a tough look. It's a really tough look. So I think it's going to be a really, really great tournament. Um, well, Mike, I'm excited to see your bets. I want to run through them real quickly for those people at home. You got Spieth as your, your winner, 22 to one. Again, maybe not your choice to win, but just for the odds. I love the Hovland top five bet. You've completely sold me on the Bryson top 10. I can't believe I'm going to buy into that one. That. Um, the Corey Connors top 20. You, you, yeah, and, and another, fun, another fun one. I've got to throw bets out over here and it's, it's Maybe going forward, we'll post them somewhere. But um, the highest finishing Asian golfer, Siwoo Kim, plus 200. Sure. I love Siwoo in, in the major. And uh, 200, that's a, that's a fair value. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll take Siwoo to uh, be top okay. finishing Asian. I like it, too. Corey Connors, top 20. Uh, Sam Bennett to make the cut. I like the odds on that one. He's two for two thus far. Gordon Sargent as the low amateur. Your dark horse, 101. Sahith Dagala. Awesome. Love that guy. The one where you and I are going to clash forever and always. Next time we see each other, it may lead to never a physical confrontation because A, I'm frightened of you, and B, I love you too much. No hole-in-ones. You've, you've, you've bet no hole-in-ones for this tournament. That breaks my heart, man. It is my it's, it's my sweetheart bet, and I know you're probably going to win that one, but I'm still going to be putting money on the on an ace someplace. You got to stand for something sometime, and I'm know. standing that's, on no hole in one. That's great. I'm going to die on my hill as well, Mike. Thanks for joining, man. It is so good. I don't get to see you much anymore. Uh, I hope to see you. I'm back this Saturday. I'm back. I'm back. Okay, awesome. I, I hope I, I hope I back. see you on Saturday. Um, beyond that, happy Father's Day. Your first Father's Day is that right? It's the second one. Uh, second one. Yeah, it's the first one where the kid's showing emotion. So that'll this will be fun. Okay. Well, enjoy it. Have a great day. We are going to touch base after the uh, the U.S. Open here at LACC, um, and and take a look at how your bets did. And uh, if somehow you made someone out there filthy rich, I hope they can give a little bit back to the uh, the E nine Charities program that we have. Beyond that, Michael Nealon, thanks for joining us. Thanks to Hayden Copeland. You've been listening. And watching, if you're on YouTube, the E9 podcast on the Free Drop Media Network. Goodbye, everybody. All right, Michael. Hello, friends and golf fans. As we get ready for this U.S. Open pod, it's going to be impossible to discuss the state of golf in America globally without talking about the recent announcement of the acquisition merger, the language now is extremely complicated uh, now that the U.S. government's involved between the PAF, LIV, 
and the PGA Tour. Before we jump into today's pod, I wanted to take a second to maybe contextualize, over-contextualize why this is important. Over the last week, we have heard so much about the PIF, about the PGA Tour, about Live, but it's not been really well explained just exactly what the PIF is, what the significance of that is, what the controversy is. Everybody, of course, knows about the role of the Saudi Arabian terrorists um, in 9-11, 15 of the 19 hijackers coming from the uh, kingdom of Saudi Arabia. But more to the point, what is the U.S.'s complicated relationship with Saudi Arabia? For a golf podcast, that may seem and probably is not terribly appropriate, but in these modern times, it does feel like something that we have to unpack and sort out. Um, I have spent 20 plus years teaching history. I have spent 35 plus years uh, immersed in the golf universe, loving golf, and to see kind of the history of the world and my favorite, um, I shouldn't even say pastime, my favorite passion colliding with each other has been almost too much to bear. It's been a, it's been a hard road to, uh, to understand something that I love to do and am passionate about with something as complex as global politics. It's a world that you didn't think would collide. It would be as if the NFL was all of a sudden um, somehow staked by China and you had to unpack the, uh, the moral ambiguities of that. Although many people might say the many parts of the U.S. economy staked by China, but that's a different discussion for a different pod. So if you'd indulge me for a second before we jump into meeting with uh, Hayden Copeland and Mike Nealon for today's podcast, I want to take a second to look back at just what is the PIF? What is the kingdoms of Saudi Arabia's relationship with the United States? Why is it so complicated? Why is this such a big deal? If we look at the history um, of Saudi Arabia, it's actually a very recent history. I think sometimes we think uh, Middle Eastern kingdoms, we go back to our history books and look at the Ottoman Empire or the Egyptians or whatever it might be. But the kingdom of Saudi Arabia is fairly new, less than 100 years old. Um, but for thousands of years, Saudi Arabia was just what you'd expect it would be, a very nomadic land caught between a couple of bodies of water that uh, was very tribal, not much in the way of resources. In fact, pretty much the only resource was, was sand. Uh, but beyond that, a very violent and nomadic land um, over thousands upon thousands of square miles um, of nothing but sand. There may be oases or agriculturally rich areas that became the uh, province of tribal lords. Anyway, over the course of centuries, not much changed as the Western world moved towards exploration. Um, the world in Saudi Arabia remained fairly unchanged. There wasn't much need for change. That all kind of moved in a different direction in the early 7th century. As many of you know, uh, Saudi Arabia is the home of the um, Muslim uh, faith. Um, Islam was founded by Muhammad in the early 7th century. Saudi Arabia added another resource, not just sand, but now religion. And religion, of course, dominated uh, the Saudi Peninsula for the next 2,000 years as we move into the 21st century. But beyond that, what we see with Saudi Arabia is enduring conflict um, over the ensuing centuries. The Saudi Arabia we know now didn't really emerge until the 1930s. Uh, a series of wars brought the Al Saud family to control of Saudi Arabia. Um, the Al Saud family, uh, uh, Islamic family, uh, unifying the kingdoms of Saudi Arabia in 1932. At this point, Saudi Arabia had not even discovered oil yet. So what we think of as Saudi Arabia and its wealth was still very much um, a backyard 
to global politics in the early part of the 20th century. Even as the world was industrializing, automobiles became ubiquitous. Um, military complexes grew exponentially after World War One. Saudi Arabia was still a little bit out of the game, um, not really thought out of thought of outside of their own region. But that all changed in 1938 when massive oil reserves were discovered in Saudi Arabia and throughout the Arabian Peninsula. And at that time, of course, everything changed in Saudi Arabia. Uh, in 1938, as uh, many of you history buffs out there know, and probably if you don't have to be a history buff to know, we were on the verge of a second world war, one that would be highly mechanized, highly industrialized. And of course, the uh, acquisition uh, and the approval of the Saudi government in order to uh, secure the oil reserves was instrumental in that. And so at that point, Saudi Arabia became a global player, um, buying many different nations, vying for their um, the privilege of trading with them for their oil. Uh, of course, one of those big investors was the United States. As we move into the late 20th, into the early 20th century, 21st century, of course, that only accelerated um, air travel, um, ground transportation, uh, just the burgeoning globalization of trade, all led to great demand for Saudi oil. Saudi Arabia is the second largest oil producer in the world behind the United States. But along with the United States, it kind of formed this very loose alliance of global oil exporters. Um, United States and uh, Saudi Arabia had cooperated on a company named Aramco, which is now the Saudi-owned oil company maybe the most valuable company in the world. All the meantime, Saudi Arabia maintained its position as a kingdom. You know, as we think of kingdoms or monarchies in the world today, uh, we think of those as being antiquated. We think about Middle Ages. Uh, we think about the end of kind of modern monarchies after the First uh, World War or the Great War. But the Saudi kingdom is a new kingdom. It's a new monarchy. The outside family um, is a 20th century monarchy, if you will. They're a modern age monarchy. Um, it is maybe falling short of a totalitarian state, but Saudi Arabia is an authoritarian state, a state with uh, the fourth largest military spending in the world, uh, a nation that has um, by and large resisted uh, changes when it came when it comes to women's rights, um, LBGTQ rights, um, Sharia law, and the Quran are still basically the constitution of Saudi Arabia. The Saudi Arabia security services um, crack down on any protesters, and Saudi Arabia is hyper intent on protecting its global image. That global image, as we know, took a terrible hit. On September 11, 2001, when 15 of the 19 hijackers, terrorists from Saudi Arabia, as many of you know, Osama bin Laden himself, the head of Al-Qaeda, was from a very wealthy Saudi family, uh, hence the, the bin in his name. He was actually exiled, uh, expelled from Saudi Arabia in 1994 for his extremist beliefs, and the Saudis will point to that very quickly um, when they want to just separate themselves from the connection to terrorists. But it also seems to reason that a state with massive security resources, a state with hyper, hyper uh, vigilance towards their own population, use communication, a state that is extremely entrenched in uh, Islamic law, uh, a state where um, you know religion uh, to them is much like democracy here in America. And uh, that is for both good and bad. As you know, there can be different interpretations of democracy, just like there can be different interpretations of religion. And in places like Saudi Arabia, that interpretation of religion can turn extreme from time to time. 
But the fact that 15 of those 19 terrorists emerged from one place seems more than a little suspicious. And as recently as 2019, uh, documents have been released by the U.S. government that have made more than passing connection to those terrorist cells, uh, to representatives, if not the Saudi government, um, but maybe a, a step removed from the Saudi government. Uh, the connections are nebulous. Uh, Saudi Arabia justifiably can remove themselves from that kind of chain of communication, but they can't remove themselves from kind of the overall impression that there is more than a little, if not explicit, uh, implicit approval, or at least a looking the other way as those attacks were planned. And not just those attacks, attacks you know that occurred in 1994 and 1999 as well. All that to say, Saudi Arabia in recent years has been intent on rehabilitating their image. This is where you hear sport washing come out quite frequently. This might be investing in the Premier League and the ownership of Newcastle uh, in the uh, in the United Kingdom. This might be um, procuring parts of Uber, as they have done. Um, Uber is now controlled in part by the PIF. Um, this might be, uh, as we can see now, investing in major sports leagues uh, like F1 and the PGA Tour. How can they afford to do this, though? That's where the PIF comes in. As um, It's pretty easy to figure out. Massive amounts of money have moved through Saudi Arabia. Um, the Saudi Arabian government is nothing like the American government. The procurement of funds and the way they are distributed is not governed by a legislature like they are here in America. Instead, they fall into the province of the royal family and the royal families. There are actually multiple families in Saudi Arabia, sometimes in conflict with each other. Saudi princes don't just belong to the al-Saud family. There are a number of other families that are connected um, to the highest levels of Saudi government. And uh, all of them have their, I should say, their skids greased by the uh, oil money that flows through Saudi Arabia. However, the uh, Saudi kingdom in 1972 created something called the Public Investment Fund. And this fund was a place to put reserves from the uh, sale of Saudi oil um, into an investment fund that would be designed to, like anybody who has uh, reserves of cash, designed to help grow that money um, and help improve, uh, if not the quality of life of the Saudi people, improve the standing and the status of the Saudi government. And so over the course of the last 40 years or 50 years, that PIF has grown. It's grown from uh, several billion to 100 billion by 2000, and now somewhere in the area of six to 700 billion by 2023 with a target of $1 trillion by 2025. That is an obscene amount of money. If it contextualizes it a little bit, uh, right now, the PIF could basically buy, if they wanted to, and if they were allowed to, which they wouldn't be, every major sports franchise in the three major sports leagues in the United States. They could afford to buy every one of those and have enough money left over to continue to fund the PGA Tour, F1, Newcastle, and do their own investments at home. It is a massive block of money. Most of us have trouble wrapping our minds around a one with that many zeros after it. Um, the Saudis have seemed to figure that out. That leads us to our kind of modern conundrum. You know, anybody who has money to invest is always looking for a smart investment. Um, and one of the smartest investments you can get into is, is finding a troubled asset. And a troubled asset is uh, an asset that is valuable, uh, but at the same time distressed. 
and that distressed asset may be looking for an infusion of cash. And in this case, the PGA Tour, as we have learned over the last couple of weeks, in particular last week, has been a distressed asset. Not only have purses gone up on the PGA Tour, but legal fees have been mounting to the tune of about $40 million a year, specifically to deal with the Live Tour uh, and the threat posed by the PIF. In essence, the PIF, the Saudi-backed public investment fund that is controlled um, by Yasir al-Rumayan and uh, under the control uh, of um, the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, that fund itself is what distressed the PGA Tour, made it a distressed asset. And to step in to rescue it comes that same fund as we've learned in the last week. We'll talk more about this with Hayden and Mike coming up, but I think it's important to note that there are extremely complicated connections here. Um, certainly, the use of 9-11 as a moral um, compass as uh, PGA Tour players were encouraged or guided away from defecting to the Live Tour is significant, both in how it was used a couple of years ago by Jay Monahan, and now how it seems to have been discarded once um, that narrative is no longer useful. But we also see in the, the, the PIF and the live connection, we see there may be some different ideas about the future of golf in terms of the PIF side. Uh, one thing is for certain, nothing is final. This is all uh, a moving target. Uh, just recently, yesterday, in fact, the US Senate has uh, petitioned the PGA Tour and talked uh, openly about wanting to inquire and form a committee to investigate this possible merger, of which the PGA Tour now is backing away from that word, which is why it's hard to figure out what the terminology for this actually is. In the midst of all of this, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of professional golfers whose lives hang in the balance, dozens upon dozens of professional golf tournaments, um, essentially the future of golf dictated by what will happen or what may not happen here with this a collaboration between these two entities that are have been in conflict, but now are needing to be more collaborative in the future of professional golf. And how? What does that mean for the fan? What does that mean for our our moral certainties? Um, it's much more complicated, obviously, um, than we initially thought. Anyway, as we jump into the pod today, that context might be important. But beyond that, we're really excited you're listening. Thanks for diving in with me these first 15 minutes and enjoy the Enon pod as we look at the impending collaboration between the PGA Tour and the PIF. But more importantly, as we explore this next U.S. Open at Los Angeles Country Club, we're going to meet Mike Nealon today, who's going to uh, bring us a little bit of gambling advice as we move into uh, U.S. Open week. As you'll see, Mike has some interesting ideas about how to uh, allot your assets uh, in terms of uh, gambling as we move into this U.S. Open week. I can't uh, say I'm going to agree with everything he says, but I promise you it's going to be interesting. Anyway, stay tuned for the E9 podcast, precapping the 2023 U.S. Open at Los Angeles Country Club. Thank you for listening to the E9 podcast, a production of Free Drop Media. 